Episode 95 of Gaming and BS, sponsored by Gamehole Con, a gaming convention in Madison coming in November. Get your ass to Gamehole Con. For more information, go to GameholeCon.com. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a podcast about tabletop podcast. It's not about tabletop podcasting, Brett. It's about tabletop RPGs. It totally is. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Hey, folks. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Some podcasts put the blooper reels at the end of the show. We put them in. And some people edit them out completely so people can see our foolishness. But us, that's not how we're cut, man. No. We do this different. That's right. Do things a little bit different around here. All right. We got some um, well announcements. Would you like to do them, Brett, or would you like to? I can me do to? that. I can do okay, that. Man, right. you are really super loud. I don't know what the deal is. We're like blowing out my ear holes, man. Turn down your volume. I did. If I turn it down any further, you're muted. You're Seriously? still like crazy loud. Anyway, well, Sean is uh, blasting my ears out. Our trivia contest continues. Uh, I think we're up to like four, maybe five submissions at this point. Our listeners are once again awesome people, and uh, sometimes they don't always go for our shenanigans, but I swear to God, there are no shenanigans involved. You visit GamingBS.com forward slash Trivia 100. In front of the show, John Marr from Purple Source for Games is throwing in an item or two. Visit the, his website, Purple Source for Games, for DCC adventure needs. And we're currently working with Charles from Fabled Environments. Maybe get a PDF or two from him. We got, I've got a dice bag from Grayed Out. I got some funky dice to throw in there. We got some stuff. We got some swag. So yeah, I, know, I know our listeners may have thought we were up to shenanigans with this, but we are not. There's definitely giveaways happening for those who go out there and put in their answers. Yes, no answer too short, no answer too long, no answer too incorrectly or correctly. We just need your submission to 13 questions that'll take you, depending on how quickly you type, five minutes maybe. Yes. And, you know, there's talks of us giving away a... a Lamborghini or something. I don't know. Well, there was always talks. I mean, right. who knows? People well, always talk. That's right. Things are, things are said. Yeah. Lord knows what could happen. Let's get into Random Encounter. Do it. Random Encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails and voicemails from social media, from our listeners. Um, Not to be mistaken for the show topic of last week. Which was about random encounters. Somebody asked. Did you see that? Somebody asked us. No, like, I, didn't, I didn't. Hey, is this like a show about all your random encounters? That's funny. That like is it. funny. It was a good question, like, once, honestly. Once again, shenanigans prevailed. That's right. Um, I will start. You do that. Gabe Dibing. Gabe, welcome. First email correspondence from Gabe. This is how about a Merp episode? That was my ah. f- first ever role-playing game, mostly because I read uh, L-O-T-R. That's Lord of the Rings. You <laughs> In fifth grade and wanted then to live in that world. Don't we all, Gabe? Absolutely. Well, I don't know. It would probably suck really bad. I mean, dude, no internet. <laughs> I, would be, I would be okay. I would be totally okay without the internet. I would be okay. 
I'd, I'd survive without that. We wouldn't have a podcast, Brett. All right, you got me there. We'd have a Palantir cast. That's what we would have. We would ship Palantirs out to different people, and we would broadcast to those. That's what we would do. You have wisdom beyond your years, Brett. Yeah, I just I know how to game the system, I guess. That's how that goes. Carry on, carry on. I had to teach the game to all the kids in my neighborhood, though, and in sixth grade, it made me a bit of a snob. This was because at that time, I had my first experience meeting role players untrained by me, and they played AD&D. Must have been second ed, let's see, 1982-ish. I looked down on them because I didn't believe that D&D was a true and properly consistent flavor for a fantasy world, but instead a hodgepodge of all things imaginative. Well. Whoa. Our early opinions as we were kids, huh, Brett? Oh, it's true. I mean, I remember distinctly friends of mine saying, oh, I got this new role-playing game, and I would look at it and go, who made it? And I didn't give a fuck about authors. I would look for the company. If it didn't say TSR on the side of the box, I'm like, well, what do they know about gaming? Oh. That, was, that, was, that, was a, that was an opinion that uh, young uh, junior high Brett had. So, interesting. We continue, which is awesome. My sense of superiority was unfounded, of course. I've learned humility, and I currently run a Pathfinder game campaign. Uh, but I can't help but be intrigued by Brett's commitment to Ice's creation. Best company name ever. You make me nostalgic. Did you ever go full Rollmaster? In my youth, I bought the complete box set, but never see, even built a character. What do you think of the critical charts? Try a spatula. Yes, that's one of my favorite. Body reduced to gelatinous pulp. Try a spatula. Yes. I have not played full-on Rollmaster. My buddy Zave and the guys I'm running, Zave and JR and Nick, are, both, are all Rollmaster aficionados. Zave and Nick, by far, are the two in the group that have played hardcore all-in Rollmaster, where there's even more charts than Merp. If you y'all thought Merp had charts, nothing compared to Rollmaster charts. Uh, I have not. I have not. I don't have Merp. I never had Merp. I have not played Rollmaster. Uh, so I am completely oblivious to this. You're, it just tears me up inside wow. to know this about you. What are you going to do? Well, you know what? I don't like Star Wars, and you've never played Rollmaster. I think I think we'll just we'll live with each other's faults and continue on is what we will do. I like to think that I have an open mind, Brett. Even That's though true. it should never, ever pour out onto the players. <laughs> Carry on. Anyway, you did the current Star Wars, an episode... Uh, I much appreciated. By the way, intend to purchase Edge of Empire if I ever make a trip to Fantasy Flight itself, because he's uh, will divulge it. He's from Minnesota, and I'm not far away. I'm intrigued by your description of the system, particularly since West End's version might have been the best game I ever played, and convinced me to buy Torg because that game felt like Star Wars. "Quote the best Star Wars game ever," says Sean. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. here's the thing. Now, I wasn't a big D6 West End game Star Wars player, so take that mm-hmm. for what it's worth. I do have I do have the game, but I also heard that it once you know you get Jedi high enough level, it breaks. So, hey, take it. You know, if you if you take a game and you push it so far that it breaks, then I don't think it's a great game. Or maybe it's a great game up until. Right. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. So give a little love to Merp. Brett, you should name your dog Merp. The next next uh, pet I have will be named Merp. Or child. 
Chat, I, no more children, not not possible. So carry on. Well, <laughs> I could adopt one, perhaps. Well, yeah. There I, you go. If you do, I might attend Game Hole and try to get in on Brett's Merp game. Sweet. My life has been mighty insular, I guess, which might be why I'm so curious about another Merp GM. What kind of stories do you tell? Do you stick to canon or feel free to shake up Tolkien's world a bit? I guess you can bring in Star Wars too. Then, how committed to canon must you be in any IP? What do you say? I'm curious about your answers. Having myself run games in both of these worlds, your show consistently is my favorite of the RPG podcast. Well done, gents. Since I find myself writing to you, I might likewise look into how I might support you on Patreon. Well, thank you, Gabe. That's pretty nice of you. And perhaps I'll come to Game Hole. I almost did Gen Con this year. Something smaller, though, and more nearby. Oh, time and money. Such considerations uh, be our bane. Sincerely, Gabe Dibing, Winona, Minnesota. You know, Sean and I have been talking, uh, Gabe, Sean and I have been talking about um, digging into a couple of the out-of-print games on the shelf that we have or games that we're running. And as I'm re-entering the Merp world with my little side campaign with some of my friends, I think it might uh, might definitely be worth a, a dive in. I traditionally, just in a quick short answer, traditionally I tend to run my Merp games in the fourth age, <clears throat> excuse me, after the War of the Ring is over. And um, has to, I don't have, I don't worry then about accidentally stepping on some canon, something or other that would potentially impact the official story and so forth. Um, and also then what it does is that it has allowed some of my players who are not as fluent in the Lord of the Rings series or the Cimmerillion and so forth to if they misremember something or don't have it all, you know, at the top of their head, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's so it's okay because they're living in a time when the war is over. There's plenty of myths and rumors about what really did happen during the war. So that's that's what I tend to do with my Merp games. Yeah, I think with Star Wars, um, it's a big freaking universe. Like it's really, gigantic. really old and I think that you can have some of the canon bleed over a little bit. Like if you're playing during the episode four, five, six era, um, you know, Alderaan gets blown up in episode four. You could probably kind of put that in there as a rumor, you know, but not ever get near there. Or maybe they're so far out on the outer rim, they'd never know that actually happens. Um, so I think Star Wars, you can use the creatures, you can use all the planets different scenarios depending on what you want to play and how you want to play it it's easier i think in that in that ip because of the vastness of it to run some sort of an alternate or side history you know something that you know if if you were to do and i don't know enough of the canon so maybe maybe there is something out there definitely where it, it shows how lando calrissian gets a hold of uh of bespin and ends up running the cloud city i mean but that campaign to help Lando get that thing or somehow where what you do would were to land him in that role in just the right time could be kind of cool. But the, the, the world, this, the, the universe is, is massive for star Wars. There's so much you can do. Yeah. Yeah. We hope that you get it, uh, get to game hole. Uh, that would be great. That would be really cool. And, uh, thanks for writing in. And, uh, Absolutely. if you decide to support the show, great. If you don't, Hey, that's okay too. Um, Glad to have you listening, Gabe. Yeah, Thank you much, that, sir. That's all we can ask for. Brett? Yes, next up is Steve Orlick. He emails up us. <coughs> excuse me. Nice and simple. Lords of Waterdeep is probably the best board game. Talking again about our board game episode a couple back. Best board game I've ever played, he says. Especially if you add the Skullport expansion. The corruption mechanic is just awesome. 
One old school game I love was Stop Thief. I missed that one. Damn, I'm old. Steve Orlick. P.S. Brett, what scotch do you drink? I'm a Laphroaig quarter cask man myself. P.P.S. You don't have to air this part if you don't want to. My son, Corey Orlick, has published a D&D 5e Artificer class to dmsguild.com. Pay what you want. Just give him a little plug. Well, by God, we're going to say it anyway, so here we go. Corey Orlick, out there, dmsguild.com. There's a 5e Artificer class. Give that a look. If one of our listeners... Um, Think highly enough of such a thing to get it out there and tell us about it. By God, that means it's good enough for the rest of us. And as for scotch, I like a lot of different scotches. Um, some of the easily malts, the real peaty stuff, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in for. Right now, I have a Tomatin. Uh, I think this is a 12-year-old, which is actually quite good. And I've had uh, Glenmorangie, 18-year-old is really good. Some of the uh, best ones I ever had, I had a uh, 30-year-old Oban at one point, which was Ages and ages back. I don't even want to tell what I paid for a glass of that at a bar, but it was amazingly good. But anyway, that's uh, what I'm drinking right now. Yeah, I mean, after the first five, Brett, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I did learn that at one point. I was drinking um, I was drinking whiskeys, and I was drinking high-end whiskey at, at a bar with some friends of mine. I was in my early 30s after I'd gotten divorced, and uh, to my ex-wife, of course. So I got divorced, and we're drinking, and people are buying me. Oh, you like scotch, or you like this high-end whiskey we're drinking? And like six of them in, I'm like, why aren't I just drinking regular Jack? I mean, for God's sakes, my mouth is just numb at this point. I, I can't even tell the 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 flavors, the complexities, gone, just totally gone. At that point, you could have handed me paint there, and I wouldn't, couldn't have told you. Anyway, ooh, banging things around here. That's right. Sorry about that. Dave Wynn. He writes us, Dave. Hola, Brett and Sean. I was going to write in after your board game episode, but I realized it is a lot of work to write an email that's about 90 seconds worth of content for a podcast, especially when you guys put out an episode every week. Jeez. Anyways, I have a weekly board game group and only a monthly RPG game at my FLGS, so I play way more board games than RPGs. Sad face. Here are some recommendations for y'all. Vault Wars is a game based on D&D meets Storage Wars. You are merchants bidding for vaults left behind by adventurers who presumably died questing. You're blindly bidding on loot hidden in the back of their vaults. That's awesome. I'll have to put that on the list. Definitely going on the list. Dungeon Fighter is a cooperative game where you have to roll your dice into spots on a board to do the most damage. However, you'll uh, acquire difficulties such as having to roll off your chin from under the table, behind your back, etc. Finally, for the true fans of gaming and BS is Iron and Ale, which is a drinking game where everyone plays dwarves. Yes, it's real. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Enjoy and see you guys at Game Hole. Wow. I'd assume that, I, I would have definitely assume that Iron and Ale is not a scotch drinking drinking game, as insofar as you, again, You'd, you'd end up completely blotto in like probably the first two rounds and spend way too much money on it. Sounds like Volt. you sounds like you drink iron and ale. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Vault Wars, though, man. That sounds that sounds freaking that sounds hilarious. That sounds fun. So, Dave, thanks much, man. Appreciate it. All right. Now, VC's got a long one. He he says, how long do you guys take for emails and, on Twitter? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Hit us with, a, we haven't hit a limit yet. There's only one way to find out. All right, he harkens all the way back to episode 59, Horror and RPGs. Hell, I think that was right around Halloween back in 2015. Horror uh, and Terror are uh, great. Uh, yes, 
I, 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 yes, I remember it well. <clears throat> Do you? Oh, yes. <laughs> Sean doesn't remember anything. No. All right. Horror and terror are great tools for a GM to use in their games. The problem that comes with this genre is the, is the medium we use for our games, tabletop, pen and paper, and the imagination of the players. These elements do not allow horror to come to life in the same way as a visual medium does. Reading or being told that the PCs hear something behind them, then describing the rotting flesh of a hand grabbing them doesn't have as strong of impact as actually seeing it happen to them in a game or in a movie. In an, in an RPG, the GM has to get creative, using hor- horror to disempower the PCs and use the world around them to lock in the fear. In a horror game I once I ran once, I used everything against my players to make it to make sure the seed of terror was planted and cultivated in them. We only played the game in the dark, cold, basement, with limited lighting. And I had 5.1 surround sound system hooked up around the room and played music from a very well-known scary movies and video games. The Fog and Silent Hill, for example. I put together with a soundboard. I banned all electronics from my PCs. They had nothing that would allow them the opportunity to escape my game. Quote-unquote escape. (laughs) I like what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. In the game, the six PCs awoke in a research facility, and they had all... And they all had amnesia. Since I started them off with a mental condition, I also decided uh, to use the Sandy rules from the uh, Call of Cthulhu D20 book for some extra flavor. Not knowing where they were or who they were, they had to figure out their location by hints I hit around the lab, which was crawling with zombies, which is what you do. Right. Um, Once they had collected what they thought were enough numbers, they tried to figure out where they were. Once the PCs figured out uh, they were GPS coordinates and they used a tablet, his character had to figure out where they were. The device had taken some heavy abuse and was not in good condition, but with a few risky skill checks, he got it to work. I let him use Google Earth on my laptop in front of everyone to see what happened. The location was Barrows, Alaska. The dot landed on top of a real-life research base located in the area. Then after about 20 seconds, I hit the kill command on him and said the device crashed and needed to be repaired. Later on, as they escaped the facility, they were introduced to subarctic, windy, exposed environment of the U.S.'s farthest north settlement. Uh, in the evening sunset, they found a bunch of SWAT cars and some of the PCs' own cars sitting outside the facility. Most of them were either sabotaged or were not accessible, and the PCs didn't want to risk triggering an alarm. Not far off, they saw a large storm making its way towards them, and what they assumed was borrows. One PC remembered he had keys, tried them on a truck that was off to the side. When they worked, the first thing he tried was ignition, but paused to listen to the radio. They heard the radio say it was 6.02 p.m. on December 21st, 2014, an emergency broadcast system sound. The truck died shortly after, and the sun disappeared over the horizon. After taking everything in, they quickly uh, geared up, and quickly gearing up, they started marching towards the safety of town. One PC made a successful check to remember why December 21st was important. That was the beginning of the winter solstice. In the Arctic Circle, where Browse, Alaska is located, this is when the 30 days of night begins. Oh, Lord. Um, everybody's <laughs> read 30 days of night or seen the movie. Anyway, this is, that's, uh, I can see this coming. I used the real-world environment in the games against the PCs, and eventually the sanity caught up to them. I had one player lose the rest of his sanity and snap. In-game, they had extreme PTSD. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. She said one player. Oh, one player. Ooh, lose well. the rest of his sanity and snap? It happens. So, so are we accurate in saying, VC, that it was a player or player character? Because we often kill player Both. characters. Both. It dep- depends. Well. Depends who deserves it. Yeah. In the game, they had extreme P- They had an extreme PTSD event happen in front of and on them. This caused the PC to eat their lit cigarette, slam a bottle of booze they found, and then take a snowmobile down a road and through a house at top speed. <laughs> 
as an added bonus to the game, it printed out uh, Call of Cthulhu death certificates and filled them out as they died. Sorry for rambling. I hope you enjoyed this. If you'd like to hear more, by all means, let me know. Thanks again for your time. VC, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's good. I'll tell you one of the things about horror. And we've talked about this before, and I know I've said this to other people as well, is that one of the things about horror is that you have to not, I shouldn't say you have to, but I have found effective is that once you trip upon and you get the thing where the group begin gets nervous and they become scared, you play on that and you go and you drive it and you drive it and you drive it. If there's paranoia, if they're worried about something, you push it, you push it, you push it. Um, as we said before, a lot of times the players will tell you what they like. And if you're at the game, you know it's horror, you like being scared because that's why you're here. The players will give you signs and signals and maybe flat tell you, oh, my God, that's fucking scary as hell. Lean into it which is what I'm uh, assuming you did throughout this. So good job, VC. Very good job. Sean, next one's over to you. Uh, Edwin writes, Game Hole is November 4th through the 6th in Madison. Carnage Con is November 4th through the 6th in Stowe, Vermont. The Extra Life 24-hour Gameathon is November 5th. Roger is going to be at Game Hole Con. He's referring to Roger Braslett. I'm going to be at Carnage. Team Extra Carnage is going to be raising money through a bunch of DCC, D&D, Call of Cthulhu, and other games. Can the folks at Gamehole one-up us and raise more money for sick children through Children's Miracle Network Hospitals than Team Extra Carnage? The gauntlet is down. Cheers, Edwin. P.S. We're also looking for one more DCC judge to run a table of Carnival of the Damned at Carnage. All right, so if you're going to Carnage... You can run one of the Carnival of the Damned by David Beatty, my buddy, who I think is coming to Game Hole. Ha ha. I hope uh, he does. That'd be cool. That'd be funny. PPS, random encounters are excellent if the characters are stalling or resting. A jerk move if it's the players. Ha <laughs> uh, So last year, somebody brought this up because it does fall on the same kind of weekend every year, I think, for the last couple anyway. So somebody brought it up to Alex and... I think Alex's response was great cause. Somebody is certainly welcome to do it, but I don't think Gamehole was going to head it up themselves because of everything else they got going on. Um, I don't know if anybody took it on. Uh, I know Joe Alfano, who is local, was in my game group and he heads up some of the D&D Adventures League. I don't know if they were going to do it. Um it's a good cause. I just, I don't know, Brett. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to dedicate to it because it's like a 24-hour thing. Yeah, 24-hour game. I don't know enough about the extra life component. So I'll tell you what, Edwin. I'm going to take a look into it and see what I, I'm, I'll do some research and see what can be done. I, no promises. that The gauntlet is down. As Ed says, it is down. Now we just got to see if we can pick the damn thing up or if we will be shamed eternally for our lack of ability. You we know, we, we could just have like big buckets at the tables and say... Put put the uh, you know we're trying to beat Carnage. They suck, um, and <laughs> and put on like this is for sick children. Put in donations and see what happens, and then we'll just give it all to them. We could do something like that. I mean, you know, might have to be a little more official <laughs> than that. Perhaps some sort of a proof to people that that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, we are we are indeed men of our words and all that. But yeah, we're gaming in BS. I would never want to like BS somebody out of money for a children's. Fucking no. Children's charity. What kind of a scumball would do that? Anyhow. I don't know. We're pretty, we can get pretty nasty and stupid, but we're not yep. that ridiculous. Not that immoral. No, no. All right. I'll, 
That's a good idea, though, Edwin. I got to look into it. I'll see what can be done. Yeah. You ready for the main topic, Brett, man? Let's give it a shot. See what we can do. Brad, what in the hell are we talking about this week? Well, Michael Drescher talked to us about, uh, after episode 91, he said, I'm trying to run a Dungeon World game, and I'm having trouble wrapping my head around fronts, particularly in the format laid out in the book. Perhaps an episode on campaign construction, he had asked. And I thought, of course, if you ask us and you're a listener, as is Michael, why not try to give it a shot? And uh, Sean has his a hard copy of Dungeon World. He's showing me on the camera here. And I looked over my PDF version of Dungeon World. For those of you who knew, uh, I, I did have a hard copy, a nice hardcover hard copy. But I gifted it over to the misdirected Mark Boys because uh, Phil Vecchione, a, a lover of that game, did not have a hardcover copy and uh, had to help him out. So anyhow. But it's like, doesn't it make more sense that you should have kept it? Because those guys are big Dungeon World guys. I know. I just like I it's really kind of like hey, trying to spread the word, but but not. Kinda. I don't know. That's okay. I'm sure they appreciated it. The logic between me doing something really nice doesn't always have to mesh here, buddy. Let's just let's just go with it. Oh, touche. Got it. <laughs> Ten four, good buddy. Okay. Anyway, so Sean, I saw you had a little uh, post out there in the Google Plus that you were doing a little research this weekend. I was reading up. I was in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, with my lovely wife, spending a weekend up there. And uh, downtown sitting outside watching the deer and other nice things out there. No hunting this year, so I didn't shoot anything. And that's um, no BS. And that's no BS. It's absolutely she, no she BS. She is lovely. She is very lovely. So I sat outside, read a little bit on the old iPad. So, Sean, when you – let's talk about when we start building a campaign and maybe we can dive into fronts from a Dungeon World perspective and so forth. So when you want to run a campaign of something, is your first thought, I'm going to go – grab a module and run that or do you i mean what what do you think i mean how when you want to run a campaign does your brain go to a specific starting point or what happens you know it uh it depends like, i always start off the topic like that it depends i must just like insert that and hit it as a quick exactly quick this button. is just a bumper bloop it, yeah it depends it depends um i have done the campaign arcs um from paizo and have read those and I've gotten through one or two modules because they're really long. They take a long time to get through if you've ever run any of them. And having said that, there is the arc and then there's the individual 96-page module. Um, so what has typically happened in my camp, quote-unquote, campaigns is they usually start out with a module. I don't think that's ever been unknown on the show, and I, I've divulged that a few times. But it ends up morphing into... Either the campaign arc that it's a part of, right? It's, you know, module one of six, and there is an overarching, arching, arcing, overarching plot to the whole story mm -hmm. um, that usually never gets seen all the way through the end. Now, with the Star Wars game that I'm running, you know, I've I've done no, and this. You, it doesn't it doesn't get seen to the end because you was out and quit, or your players okay. break up, revolt. You know, they don't buy any more train tickets. What happens? Why, why don't you ever? Why don't you ever complete it, Sean? What's your problem, man? It's it's GM ADD, man. Like I, I started it, and it starts out like, hey, man, we're gonna run through this. We're gonna be, yeah, man, it's gonna be great. And then it just like fizzles out. Like I usually get tired of, I get tired of it. For whatever reason, I'm just like, Fair you know, enough. I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't want to play this adventure arc. 
Um, now, I interrupted you. You were talking about the Star Wars game we're doing now. So the Star Wars game kind of started out the same way, right? It's like, hey, you guys are, you know, edge of the empire, smugglers, soldiers, whatever. And I started out with one of the books, one of the adventure books. Um, which one did I start with? It doesn't matter. Now you guys are going through the Jewel of Yavin. So you went through and started out with one, then you kind of like, you guys went off on your own and I had to adapt. And then I'm like, okay, what I'll do is I'll get them into this one. And it was really simple, kind of a transition. Cause you guys were like, you left the one adventure kind of up in the air. And then I thought, well, I'll just bust out this one as you guys seek kind of refuge. Um, and I'll turn you on to this storyline. So it didn't, uh, it wasn't something where I had it all fleshed out and planned and thought like, Hey, here are the things that I'm going to kind of consider in this camp quote unquote campaign. But as the things flesh out and as we play, it will take a shape of its own, right? So I could probably bring in NPCs from like the first series, the first adventure, um, into anywhere down the road, I mean, you guys are going to be finishing up the Jewel Yavin pretty soon, probably. In which case, yep. how will that end? Will Got we it. pick? Will we pick it up later? Who knows? Well, tell you, <clears throat> listening to here, I think one of the um, well, cool things that Dungeon World does, which is one of the things I liked about it when I read the book, was that it it says it says basically in print a thing that I and a number of other game masters that I know do, and that is leave blanks. They talk about leaving blanks when you draw maps. Um, leaving openings, basically places. It's kind of that the, I read that and when I hear somebody say, well, make sure you leave blanks, make sure you leave open spaces. That's an opportunity. So that way, if the players decide to hop off those train, that train and, you know, swap to a different train, they can do something, right? They can get at the station. Exactly. <laughs> they can check, you know, they can hop off there, get on the uh, 915 going somewhere else or whatever the case is. And you have gaps in there and that's fine. I think from my reading, my rereading, I should say, of the Dungeon World Fronts concept is um, very similar to when I read it. I went, okay, I don't. So this sounds arrogant, but I said, I don't need this. I kind of do this anyway. Um, I went back and reread it, and then I reread it again in prep for the show. Hopefully, it, it stuck this time. <clears throat> but the concept is kind of the what's the game about? Kind of the elevator pitch to start with. What's the game about? Oh, in the Star Wars game. Sean told us, "Hey, you're going to be you're going to be kind of that. It's Edge of the Empire. Think um, Millennium Falcon. Think Han Solo. You know, scuzzy nerf herder type guys doing scuzzy, scuzzy doing questionable deeds potentially for money. Scruffy, maybe scruffy, scuzzy, whatever. Scuzzy's the computer interface. Scuzzy's the computer interface. Okay. It is, but that, yeah, I'm no, surprised you knew that, Brad. That's oh, cool. That. <sighs> Anyhow, um." So that's kind of the, the first thing I, I think of um, what, what's the do, do, do. So if I'm going to run a trail of Cthulhu game for the guys, I would say, Hey folks, um, well, what's it going to be about? You're going to be in London and um, you're all engaged at a issue at a hospital. Oh, we're all going to be connected to a doctor in some way, shape or form. Something wacky, something will happen. Um, and you'll be thrust into discovering something, you know, that type of idea. There's a problem at the hospital. Everyone's involved in it in some way. And then these, this kind of a high-level idea concept, I think of it as a bullet point list. What's the big thing that's supposed to happen? The big thing is in Brett's Trail of Cthulhu game, there is a trouble. There's trouble at this hospital. There's a horror that needs to be uncovered. Great. Um, 
how are they going to find that? What are they going to do? What challenges can they come up with? And those are the sub bullets that you can get to. And the reason I like thinking about my campaigns like that is because I don't do the numerical bullet points, uh, as corny as that sounds, because they don't have to happen in order. You can hop around. You can go from point to point and back and forth, depending on what it is that you're trying, um, excuse me, how your players are reacting. You can talk about different types of trouble and different types of issues that could happen. And uh, so before I butcher this too much, Sean, I'm, you, you were reading it again earlier today. So let me, let me shut up and let you go. What do you think? Yeah, so I think the similarities in what you're, what you're doing as it translates over to like Dungeon World, specifically with the fronts is the, the dangers right? The elements of the dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, and the way fronts are defined in Dungeon World is basically they're at there's campaign and adventure fronts. So adventure fronts are kind of the, the episode, right? The session. Yeah, there you go. And the campaign is the overarching kind of what's going on. And they are basically um, things that are going to... Um, if they're not adhe- if they're not addressed by the players, stuff's going to happen, right? Uh, I mean, I could read right directly out of the goofy book, but anyways, um, you know, each is a collection of linked dangers, threats to the characters specifically, and to the people, places, and things the characters care about. Um, it also includes one or more impending dooms, horrible things that will happen without the character's intervention. Fronts comes, of course, from fighting on two fronts. So if you if you are creating campaigns like Brett does, kind of off the top of his head, and he he has it in his brain and he kind of writes down notes and you know says this is where things are gonna start and this is where I see it going. Or eventually it'll get to a point where I'll have to, you know, he leaves blanks and the players will dictate some things and then I'll come up with some more stuff depending on what they do. The Dungeon World game kind of formalizes that process. Um, maybe even in my in my personal preference, probably a little bit too far for my liking. You're muted, Brett. You're still muted. You lost your sound. Older horses. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, there you go. I hit the wrong damn button. It's just it's been a rough it's been a rough day. Anyhow, it took me eight hours to get home today. It was a long drive. Eight anyway. hours? Did you drive straight from? Oh fuck yeah! Eight hours? Were you guys that far? That's far. Oh well, no, it wasn't actually that far. It just took that long. Anyway, oh, different problem. I, I I see. Okay. Anyway, yes. Continuing on. So, um, the the key component to me is is the linkage, right? So, if you were to say build a adventure um a a campaign and say hey look i'm going to base it on there's trouble in the mountains it's a dragon and the dragon's doing something all right great it's in there everything stuff has to happen so what happens if the players dangers and things that can go on with that so i have a big thing there's a dragon in the mountain okay great it's all about the dragon in the mountain you know what we need we need somebody has to want to get in there so it's a uh, disenfranchised dwarves. Dwarves are something they got kicked out. They they got to go back. They want to do something. It's forever ago. The place isn't going to be what they remembered it. There's people who live there. 
you're thinking about all these different lives and things, and hey, get, we're going to throw a fucking Hobbit in there. We're going to, you know, thinking that, you know, obviously the Hobbit, you know, I'm aping that here. But the concept then is it's not only just the stuff in a bullet list, but they all need to be intertwined. Things need to be alive and things will continue to happen. If you have multiple avenues and different things that could be going on, you're like, hey, look, we're all trying to get to the mountain. Well, guess what else is happening? There's a necromancer somewhere in Dol Guldur. Are somewhere in Mirkwood mucking around, and your wizard has to leave and go deal with that with a bunch of other people while the, the hobbit and the dwarves have to keep pushing through the forest. There's two fronts, two different things you have to deal with, and the players and, and the characters have to make decisions on where it is they're going to go. And it allows you, again, you've got gaps and just concepts, a blob there, and people can hop from thing to thing. Right. That, am I making sense? You are, and I think you are kind of lumping two things together at once, which is which is okay. Probably am. Yeah, and, and which is okay, but I think what's kind of to kind of flesh this out a little bit is, um, you have a front of whatever that is, um, something that's happening in the world, and then there's dangers to that front, right? So what Brett is saying, like, okay, whatever you, what example you used, the gate, would you say? I said the um like a, a dragon in a mountain or the dragon in the mountain anything right anything the, gates dragons doesn't much matter whatever it is but there's a danger right there's mm-hmm. an inherent danger that if it's not addressed it's going to burn up towns it might burn up the the party whatever that, that is that's the important component is like so I'll, I'll pick on my my bad magic game I'm running right now it's a gumshoe game obviously not connected to dungeon world but I have a thing that's happening in the Chicago area that if the players and the player characters or somebody doesn't address it, shit is going to go down. It's going to get really, really bad. A thing is happening centered in that location. If they don't figure out what the fuck is going on and get engaged, something bad's going to happen. Connected to that, there are at least two or three other groups that are also interested in the thing, whatever that thing happens to be. I have players who are listening, so I'm not going to go too far. But if they, if the player characters don't deal with it, somebody else will, and that somebody else may deal with it in a way that makes it even fucking worse than what would happen if nobody did anything. Right? It's going to be bad. The player characters can stop it and fix it, or somebody else is going to swoop in and make it worse, or control the thing, or do whatever. So the the result of the danger that the players don't tackle. So the the thing is with fronts is you probably have two to three going on at the same time. And unless you split the party, right? So a good example would be something like um, Dragonlance. You remember the Dragonlance series, Brett? Absolutely. Right. So the party starts out um, without getting a, giving a ton away. They get together. They start out because they're hiding a couple people that do something bad to the bad guys that are kind of raiding the town. And they're like, oh my gosh, now we're wanted and all the authorities are after us. We need to flee town. So they flee town and then they move on to the next thing, right? So they're being pursued. So as things are happening, um, they're having to address certain dangers that are are there. Now, there may be something happening in another country of Kryn, another area of Kryn, which is the world of Dragonlance. So that's happening as they're kind of like, oh shit, we need to flee this town. So another front is this, you know, maybe it's this uh, dragon overlord is plotting and scheming over here. And that's something that's happening, but it may not come to fruition with them. But eventually there's danger that if that goes, if they find out about it, 
then they have to address it or they don't. And if they don't, then it's called what in Dungeon World is Grimportant, which is the the piece that occurs if the party does not confront it. It's bad shit. If you don't do it, bad things will happen. And here's the bad thing. Yes. Yes. So I think of these things very much in my my project managing world, I think flowcharts, mm-hmm. if then statements type of thing. Right. If the end result is Okay, so maybe no one else give the get this, but if you're mapping out a process flow, look, I enter in data here, and X is supposed to spit out the far end. It's either supposed to give me access to a system, deny me access to a system, escalate the issue, or whatever other results you have. There's a whole number of if-then statements. If I come in and my name starts with a B, and that means it has to go to this queue, and if that queue says that he's only been working here for two months, that needs to go to this other queue. This process flowing, <clears throat> that's very... That's very no blanks, right? You either have it or you don't. The key here, at least the way I look at it, and this is why, I, again, I'm not a Dungeon World aficionado, but the way what I read when I read Dungeon World and when I looked at it, I said, this is very similar to what I do, is I say, there's a thing. X is going to happen. This is what the players are going to be invested in. Cool. Um, who else cares? Other than the player characters. You know, I can help them make characters that care, but who else gives you shit? Oh, the dragon overlord cares because the dragon overlord cares because there is a clue to his weakness. Great. There's a clue to dragon lords. And these are the notes you take the clue to the dragon lords weakness. Great. So he cares about that. Um, who else cares? Oh, this group of people who hate the dragon overlord because they believe there's a clue to his weakness. Okay, great. Cool. So I got two, two groups of people trying to do a thing. Cool. Why do the players care? Well, the players care because this thing X is endangering their town or it has killed people, or it is a something, whatever it is. They, they care for a reason. They don't necessarily have to know why everybody else cares, right? So as the players go along and they encounter different dangers, they encounter different components of the adventure itself, and then they deal with something and you want to amp up the danger or you want to change things around a little bit, you have those blanks, if you will, those, those just empty cards with no flow connection to it, and there's a dragon overlord, and the dragon overlords enemies. How? What happens? They just went through and they took out the Baron um, von Humeverdorf and they destroyed his castle and they found something that's supposed to lead them to the next piece. Do either of those two groups, does the dragon overlord or his enemies, care that that thing was found? Yes, they both care. You start drawing a dotted line from those groups. Now they start to move in. What do they do when they find out that that happened? Oh, the dragon over- overlord takes these three steps. Great. These three things happen. The other group starts to take these other three steps. Boom. Those three things happen. And those are things that you advance between sessions. So that way, when you come to the next session, you know that, oh, the players did X and Y and Z are the immediate results of what they did. And it continues to move towards the, um, the main front, the main plot, the thing, the goal that you're trying to get to. So, Sean, when you read that, is, is what I'm saying making sense to you? Yes, it does make sense. Um, and I think just to kind of touch on the dungeon world again, going back to that, which is the impending doom, which is at the end of every danger's path is an impending doom. So really it's just breaking it down, right? You have the front, you have the dangers, you have the grim portents, and then if you have, you have the impending doom and it really cascades downwards. And then, of course, you eventually can resolve. You have all. St- you also have stakes in there, which I'm not going to get into. Yeah. Um, but you also have resolving the front and the resolution of the front, whatever that may be, whether it's the campaign or adventure front, 
is going to be really self-explanatory, right? You're either going to overcome it, you're going to vanquish it, you're going to maybe turn it to the good side of heroism or whatever that is. It is the happy ending of the movie. Yep. I'll tell you what, if you go to, you've had the Dungeon World book on page 202 and 203, it's an example front, the opening of the White Gate. As a list of dangers, it talks about grim portents. A lot of the examples that they give in the book, you can simply take them and strip the words out and put in something different. Right? Instead of the College of Arcanist Cabal, you could have the the Archlich, you know, Demiorcus, and that's his that's the guy. And he wants to absorb those in power and to grow. There, I just copied something directly out of it. Right. Grim portents, people want it, you know, this, this, this happens. Hey, there's a dark portal involved. Oh, what's the dark portal do? Well, the dark portal acts, you know, right out of the book. It disgorges demons. Oh, I can use that. Oh, no, I don't want to disgorge demons. It opens a place to insanity. Yes, it's insanity. It's madness. It's 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 madness. And he can control the world through and a controlled in, in insanity. Great. You can just you can take these and just trump right over the top of it. You know, kind of cut and paste, if you will, you know, or find replace type of thing. Um <clears throat> the the key though to me is when I when I read these they're big, bold things that happen. Uh, the key is discovered. That is a important. What the hell does that mean? Now, right, you as the game master know that, oh, when the key is discovered, that means X. Oh, wait, that means so, somebody knows this is what happens when that occurs and so on. These are they're broad statements that you can use either as, um, I don't want to do this. You, they can be encounters. This happens. You meet the Dragon Lord's um, emissary who tells you something. Um, you uncover, uh, you, you show up at the dungeon. The damn thing's been pilfered. Why? Because the Dragon Lord's enemies have already been there. And because you failed to do something, they've wiped it out and they found the key that that was supposed to be the next clue. Son of a gun. What do you do? Do you go after the Dragon Lord's enemies? Do you go to the Dragon Lord himself and try to cut a deal? By having large chunks of things... As I, when I read Dungeon World, as I see it um, advising, and the way I think about my own adventure plotting and campaign plotting, I have big chunks of things that, that can happen. And depending on what the players do will depend on where I throw it at them. That's how I look at it. I have a deck of cards with a bunch of cool things. At the end result, this is their goal. Whether they get there or not is up to them. But along the way of these, of these cards in my hand, they're going to get different ones chucked at them based on what they do. So let me ask you a question, Brett. Okay. What do you think is the AGM's biggest mistake when trying to plan out a campaign? I think the biggest mistake is not following the lead of the characters and the players. Um, <clears throat> if you think something is going to be really cool, and so in the last Avalon game I ran, um, the characters were helping these these dwarves uncover a lost crown. So deep beneath Avalon doing a thing. And I thought it was really cool. I thought this was going to be this great thing. They would learn a lot. What happened was, is they had to follow a prescribed route. I kind of railroaded to a point. I kind of po I forced the certain activities to happen because I thought they would be cool. When point in fact, the players didn't give a fuck about any of that. That was not the cool thing they wanted to do. Had I looked at my, list of fronts, my list of dangers, my grim importance, my deck of cards, whatever analogy you want, my bullet point list, I could have easily thrown one of the other fucking things at him. Instead of assuming that it has to be a pure flow chart, all my if-then statements, you know, sometimes the if they do this, 
then X occurs. Sometimes X is something cool, right? Whatever it, it is, you know, it's blank. If they don't, if they don't follow the prescribed path, what do I do? I've got to have something to throw at them. And I didn't have, what I did was I forced them to follow what I thought was the right path, right? It was still fun to a point, but it wasn't what should have been done. I think by laying this out is you're, you're overly prescriptive. And when you're overly prescriptive, there's no blanks. There's nothing for the players to say, oh, I don't want to go this way. I'm going to take the 915 train. I'm not going to take the 10 o'clock train. And when they do that, you have to have something in your hand. You have to be able to adjust. And by having those bullet point lists, those concepts that aren't absolutely plugged into a specific place in your chronological order, you can adjust that as needed. But if you force it, um, then the, the players get the feeling again that they're being forced, that they're being railroaded, and that they don't have an opportunity when what they do kind of doesn't matter. It's one thing like, oh, we went to talk to the Dragon Lord, we cut a deal, and oh, now we're number one on the Dragon Lord's enemies hit list. Son of a bitch, I didn't think about that. You know, you're reacting naturally to what will happen by understanding all the different connections of the different cards you have, the bullet points, um, and saying, oh, they did this. These four don't matter anymore. These three have now come into play. And you can always add to your list. When the players do something and they start to tell you that they don't give two shits about the Dwarven King anymore and what they really care about is this other thing, well, maybe it's time to either readjust the campaign or do something a little bit different. How can I get them to care about it again? What do I have to do? You know, am I making sense? Yeah, man. So I didn't, it's not necessarily a single thing I didn't really give you there, but I think the biggest piece is you have to be open and flexible. And that's the piece that Dungeon World really helps to push you with is that leaving blanks concept. We're going to go over here. Fuck, there's nothing on the map. You can source the table for that. What's the name of the town you're going to? Um, Sorive. Great. Uh, who who runs Sorive? Um, it's uh, Guahir. Okay, Guahir runs Sorive. Somebody just picks that out of the Hobbit. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll name him after Eagle. Yeah, okay, so he's Guahir the Farsighted. Great. Okay, Guahir the Farsighted. Is he a wizard or something? Yeah, he's a wizard. Okay, so now that you're in a town named Sorive, run by Guahir the Farsighted, who's a wizard. Why am I there? Oh, because we're, you know, pulling that stuff as Dungeon World and other, those types of games, asking people to do things. We've talked about this before. Helps take, um, and how do I do this? I've, I use my bullet point list. I use my concept. If I don't have it written down, I use the stuff in my head to sort, to help source the table. I use those pieces as part of my question. So you're running from the Dragon Lord? No, no, no. We're, we're not running from the Dragon Lord. What we're trying to do is figure out why um, his enemies are after us. Oh, okay. They want to know more about his enemies. You know, that that's that's a gem for you there. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So what do you uh, what do you see? They just don't they just don't sit in their slotted seats and enjoy the ride or what happens? Well, I think yeah, that's pretty pretty much it. I think game masters and dungeon masters they get, I think they got they've got the epic in their head, and they try to shoehorn the players into that. Like there was uh, an individual on one of our forums. I'm like, dude, you're 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 putting way too much work into it. Like, let the players do their thing. They're going to, they'll guide you to what they want to do and how they want to do it. Just be prepared when they, when you get to that juncture to come up with something. And even if you don't have something at that point, you take a break for a week or whatever, come back and go, okay, great. I'm going to pick up where you guys want to go 
and present it. But I think, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not all the time and it's not always a, such a bad thing, but man, I see GMs, man, they're writing tomes. And I'm like, dude, just let them start out in the village of Hamlet, man, and let them go out to wherever needs, wherever it leads them. Yeah. So the other, the other piece is that I had, I used to think very process flow chart, as I described before, if then statements, if then this, if then this, if then this, you basically had a couple of different places, you know, <clears throat> if they go right, this happens. If you go left, that happens. The, op- the main piece is give yourself a third option. What if they choose to go backwards? They go up, they go down. What if something I've not planned for? And having these high-level front concepts, the dangers and the importance, very high-level, that dungeon world encourages you to do. And having those open-ended components means that if they don't go right or left, they go straight, back, up, or down, you can say, well, um, reaching the hat, I bet you this happens then. Because everything you've written down, every note you've taken, every thought in your head is all around the same campaign, right? It's not like, <clears throat> excuse me, they're trying to re, uh, reinstate the, the Dwarven King or they're trying to overthrow to stick with my Dragon Overlord. They're trying to overthrow the Dragon Overlord. That's the campaign. Everything around it, every component of it is part and parcel to does the Dragon Lord get overthrown, yes or no, is the question that will be answered by the end. How they get to that answer it really doesn't matter. If they come along and say, well, they could have ch- chosen to side with the Dragon Overlord or his foes, and they chose to create a weird terrorist organization that does its own thing, or they've created a different cabal of clerics that does something different, that's okay. I already know what the other two groups are doing. I know what importance will come from each side, from every other front out there. I know what things will happen if the players don't do something. So worst case is the danger gets ratcheted up and up and up, right? That's right. That's good stuff, man. I think so, Michael. I don't know if we answered you. <laughs> I think maybe we did. Yeah. Email us, Michael, and let us know, like, hey, man, I was hoping to have more of this, less of that. We will be more than happy to elaborate. Yeah, this is the weird thing about, and Vecchione has written, written, written a couple books on game prep, and they've a lot of DMs talk about this, or game masters talk about how to prep for this, how to prep for that. The, the pieces that you'll find is that a game will tell you, hey, this is how you should prepare to run Knights Black Agents. You can throw that out. You're not required to run Knights Black Agents the way that Ken High tells you to prep it. You can run Dungeon World Brett's way. Sean's way and you don't have to do any of the fronting or any of the dangers or importance or whatever if you have different terms or tools that you use to make a campaign come alive and give your player players those options you're not required to use the new game systems campaign layout <clears throat> it's just not there there's no gaming cops that are come tell you, you did it wrong the leaving blanks concept is huge though is that concept of oh I didn't know that they could go there it's a blank spot. They chose to uh, create their own cabal of wizards. All right. Um, well, I already know it's, it, it doesn't stop the campaign, as I said, because I already know what the dragon overlord and his arch enemies are trying to do. So guess what? They both start doing stuff. Whether that has any impact on you or not, campaign continues on, my friend. Yeah, that's right. All right. Let's get into die roll, man. Let's do it. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous point miscellaneous <clears throat> points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you. Brett has a couple. I've got a few. Brett. 
Yes. Um, I posted this out on our Google Plus community. I have not yet gotten it over to the Facebook side of things. But there is a YouTube video about how agile you can be in plate armor. This is taken from a historical document about a knight and his exercise routine and how he used to um, practice vaulting into the into saddle in full harness, uh, climbing an inverted ladder using just his arm strength, doing tumble tumbling maneuvers, somersaults, all sorts of breakfalls, crazy things to do in plate armor, and running like obscene distances in armor. Basically, that concept, kind of like we, when we talked about the uh, historical data around the flail, probably not really a real military weapon, but the plate armor, this concept of the harness always being this unwieldy, unmanageable thing is not necessarily all that true based on this. So that's just, it's cool stuff. I love watching this. It was a lot of fun. And uh, the other one kind of a weird aside. Um, if Sean, I don't know if you or someone you know could be a lizard person looking for a special someone. Um, there is a website, lizardpeoplemeet.com. Um, just in case somebody out there uh, is is a lizard person, we have a lot of different listeners, or may know a lizard person. Um, there's lizardpeoplemeet.com, just so you know. So we've gone 95 episodes. Yes. And if there isn't one freaking random encounter or die roll element that you haven't clicked, I gotta give Brett credit. This may be the one you have to click on. I haven't even clicked on it. I'm sitting here slack jawed <laughs> at this re- at this lizardpeoplemeet.com. Hey, lizard people need love too. Is it a free site or is it, do you have to pay? Um, I, I'm not sure. Not being a li- I don't know any lizard people, and I'm not a lizard person. There's what? Lizard People of New York, which is a a Facebook page, so that's out there. I know that. So I have to ask you, Brett, how did you come across that? I, I, I know a guy. I see. Okay. Well, <laughs> so you know a, a, a friendly lizard person. I, I may. Okay. Well, excellent. Um, <laughs> I think I got just like, what? <laughs> ah, I love it. All right. Ghostbust- Ghostbusters Dimension. Uh, actually, it's Ghostbusters. Ex- yeah, Dimension. It's a VR experience. Um, Sony and one of the virtual reality houses came up with a an experience that you go and one of they they invited a bunch of journalists in there and they video cameraed it. But essentially, you go through this. It's kind of like the Star Trek experience, right? It's a big set piece. You walk through, and they've got pictures, and there's noise going on, and. Then it's to pimp their virtual reality Ghostbusters software that somebody made. And it was, so you actually go through this experience and at the end you get into a line to get into the virtual, the VR piece component. And then there's literally like a five second video of the VR piece that looks pretty freaking cool. So imagine like being submersed into the Ghostbuster world. It's a little bit on the animated piece, a little bit on the animated art. It's not yeah. like you're walking into augmented reality, but interesting though. Yeah, I think it would be cooler if it was augmented reality where it would like you know, like you had a go you saw your own world and then with ghosts. Like pop Yeah, with ghosts yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of flying around and yeah, then yeah. your proton collider shooting at it, leaving burn marks across your wall. I think that would be kind of cool. But That would be kind of cool. Yeah, they're really trying to push that and, and to show you what the, the VR experience can really be. Cool. Uh, number two, spooky clouds over CERN spark 
portal to the other dimensions theory. It's, I'm telling you, man. Oh, this is large uh, Hadron Collider. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that's fine. Speaking of Ghostbusters-y stuff, Stuff's yeah, I'm sure going fine. on, man, above, above that thing. They're, I'm telling you, they're going to open a freaking hole, and it's going to be Stargate all over. Something. I don't know. If hey. we can even survive. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> Idris Elba spotted on the Dark Tower set as the gunslinger. So in case you're living under a rock. Uh, Brett, have you read the Gunslinger series? I have not. I have heard such mixed reviews of the book itself. I'm just not sure. Yeah. I'm so not sure. Stephen King wrote a series. <clears throat> yes. The Gunslinger. He's kind of like an adventure um, through different planes. And now, I don't know. It's like riffs. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it is. Is there mega damage? If there's not mega <laughs> damage, I don't want to see it. I say Riff says in how he like goes through things. I'm peeking out of my ass because I've never read the books. But anyways, people are pretty excited to see this as a movie. Yeah, I can see that. Anyways. Huh. Yeah, so, thanks for joining. This has been another episode of Gaming MBS. Yes, absolutely has been. <laughs> I'm one of your it doesn't, it doesn't what get we, much more like what, us than this. Really. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Next week, we're going to talk about character questions. Character questions? Yeah, you got to tune in next week to find out more, man. Well, I have a question about that. Oh, no, no. Got to wait for next week. Indeed. All right. Well, for Gaming NBS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you by patrons like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian, Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Aguirre, Misdirected Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Tony Baker, Palladian, Corey Wynn, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, the Knights of the Night Crew, Jason the Beer Blaylock, Remy Billadou, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mark Tessaka, Mirko Froelich, Wayne Lumrunner, Humphrey, and James Carpio. Consider becoming a patron of the show at gamingnbs.com forward slash Patreon.